Hello and welcome. You are listening to Navigating the Metaverse, where we interview trailblazers in the NFT and metaverse space who share their insider advice for how to do business in the Web 3.0 era. Your host is Maso DiBartolo. By the way, did you know that you can buy, sell, and trade virtual land inside of Upland, the metaverse that is mapped to the real world? You can download Upland on iOS or Android or enter it on the web by using the referral link in the show notes. Grab your special sign-up bonus of 6,000 UpX today and start rebuilding the world with others. With that being said, enjoy today's episode. And good morning, well, good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you are tuning in from. And welcome to another episode of Navigating the Metaverse. I have two great panelists, peers of mine in the space and a realm of Web3 and the Metaverse that I would like to introduce uh, this morning out of San Francisco. We have Adam Simmons, a Chief Strategy Officer at Bradix, the only decentralized network that lets you build fast rewards everyone who makes it better and scales without friction. Adam, what a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for having me. And we have Richard Hobbs, is the founder and CEO of BNV Brand New Vision, the first blockchain validated marketplace for NFTs in the apparel, footwear and accessory worlds. Richard, what a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Smasso. Outstanding. I do appreciate your time and uh, sharing lessons learned about the, the metaverse and Web3, these huge topics that we've been hearing since the year 2001, maybe October 2001, right? When uh, when the market woke up and said, well, what is this metaverse, right? You both have worked in the metaverse space. Richard, you are uh, have the angle of uh, apparel, footwear and accessory worlds. What's your vision of the metaverse and the connection of apparel, footwear, and accessory. What, what can you share with the audience? Well, that quote particularly was probably written a couple of years ago when we were still working on our MVP, and our MVP was primarily about being a marketplace for NFTs that at some point in the future would have the ability to be worn. Um, but at that time, there was, you know, there was talk of the metaverse, obviously, but there wasn't really the full comprehension of what you could do within it, certainly not from a fashion consumption angle. So we've evolved now, and I actually say, you know, we're not a marketplace anymore. We're a full-on Web3 company. So we actually not just tokenize or not just create and tokenize digital versions of wearable products from brands and designers, but we also create the narrative, the story, the launching, the integration with real life experiences, and eventually the commercialization of what you can do with fashion in Web3. So we've evolved a lot since that first statement, um, but if you wanted to summarize it, we're there to work with established brands and designers and hold their hand or drag them, depending on how flexible they are, into a full-on Web3 engagement. So would you say that it's uh, um, a next-generation agency for Metaverse and Web3, or do you also provide the infrastructure to actually you know, mint and have game mechanics and economies built? In? Absolutely. It's the full package. You know, it's an agency. It's, you know, it's, it's, we, you know, we, have, we have a large plot of land in Sandbox. We've built our first gaming experience there, which will... Um, hopefully go live in season four. Um, we build, we've got an activation starting in Decentraland next week, um, which is a quest type thing around one of our brands that we work with. So people who successfully answer questions, it's sort of a, 
a riddle type uh, thing where they have to do a little bit more research than just collecting coins or tokens. Um, and then eventually they can they can win something there. So it's it's the full package. It starts to finish from conceptualization till the future, because the beauty of, a, of um, an NFT at a 721 is that it's going to exist for as long as the world exists, hopefully. Um, and therefore, we keep adding in elements to that token, whether it be additional wearability or real-life activations that are relevant to the token holder. So I think it's, uh, you know, this new world is is very much more about being very open-ended and fluid with how you work with, with both the, the customer being the brand or the designer and the consumer. Let's double-click on that, uh, Adam. The Richard mentioned adding more to token. In, in general, I think we are all aware, we should be all aware that we are in this early adoption phase of the metaverse. There is a, a certain version, which, which is the current version, uh, and it has certain game mechanics, and it's all a certain rewards systems in place, right? What have you seen, Adam, what you ca can you share with the audience of reward system, uh, uh, crypto and financial system that add the value on top of uh, the actual, you know, land within within the metaverse. Yeah, so it's really interesting. I, I started my career actually in the in the video game space. So um, and in the era of when like esports, uh, the, the kind of Western adoption of esports became really, really big. So talking of like fashion adoption and representation of yourself in a digital identity, I remember the first time uh, Louis Vuitton, for example, did a partnership with uh, Riot Games for League of Legends, and they had a skin series in game. And that was that obviously not Web3, but this first kind of merging of these concepts of your your physical identity and your digital identity could, could merge and have some kind of reputation combined to them. Um, now, a lot of this also is into what crypto did. So at, at Radix, we're the infrastructure layer. We're, we're a layer one similar to Ethereum or Solana or Avalanche or something like that. So our goal is really to give builders everything they need to create this Web3 world. And one of the interesting bits, you talk about the financial aspect of it, is that we, we say that we're very focused on DeFi. And quite a lot of the time we get questions back going, oh, well, if you're focused on, on DeFi at Radix, what about Web3? What about NFTs? What about the metaverse? And actually, in our, in our view, DeFi is just the movement of assets in the same way that the internet was the movement of information. And so in our mind, NFTs and metaverse things are part of DeFi because they have a value to them. So I, I put it very simply that if you're transacting something of value, then you are doing DeFi. And what's beautiful about Web3 is it, it creates some very interesting mechanisms. And even just in the last couple of years, we've seen some evolution of this. So one of the things that I think is really cool is that your NFTs especially gave a, a real mainstream coverage to this idea of Web3 and what it could do as kind of digital artwork, but also came with some pushback from people who didn't understand it fully as like, oh, well, it's just a JPEG. Why wouldn't you just have a screenshot or something like that? Then we started to see already some new mechanisms being added into this by improvements in the technology. So things like royalties from movement of NFTs, um, the, the combination and combining of NFTs to create new unique experiences, um, but also this idea of things that aren't just bought. So one of the most um, interesting recent things that I've seen is this idea of like soulbound um, NFTs that are earned and they cannot be traded. And suddenly this opens up uh, an entire another aspect to 
how humans interact with things and, and objects in the physical world into the digital world, which is things that you've earned and you can't just go and buy. Um, and as Richard said, this ties into also like using NFTs for real world experiences. So I know there's people uh, building on, on Radix, for example, who are looking at like, how could you have an NFT for um, a certain artist or, or something like that that gave you access to exclusive gallery showings or behind the scenes things and acts as a ticket to an event or access to a private group? And combining these different reward mechanisms in with uh, metaverse experience and metaverse assets, I think creates whole new ways for both brands, um, individuals, consumers to interact that just weren't possible in a Web2 world. This is very intriguing. So the, the ability to package reward mechanism that we were not even able of almost thinking nowadays, right? Because that's what, what DeFi is opening up, right? Or this, you know, a new next generation of digital assets that you can own. And now within this digital asset, you can have additional values that are created that then the end user can unpack through gaming mechanics. Speaking of gaming mechanics and unpacking, uh, and, and utility overall, right? Richard, what have you seen um, in uh, the space of, of luxury brands, right? Fashion designers that has been uh, very well accepted in this phase one. And maybe also what have you seen that has less so accepted, even though you might have thought, well, this is, this is going to be big, right? It doesn't make sense. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to go on record and criticize some things, which yeah. I'll do privately. Construct, but I've, I've, constructive, constructive. Yeah, I, there's plenty of things that I can rip apart from the things that have been done by fashion brands and metaverses rele relevant to fashion, which have been very badly thought through mm -hmm. and not executed with the right mindset. So a, a lot of what's happened over the last 12, 18 months is people are just desperately, you know, somebody said, we need to be in the metaverse. We need an NFT. We need to do something. So they're just right. jumping in. They're not thinking this whole thing through. And in fact, the whole concept of Web3 integration is something that's only really started to gel probably in the last year anyway, where people are looking at it more than just a piece of art or, you know, a, a, a you know, a 63 million piece of artwork or a 9 million US dollar dress, you know, like, D&G uh, did, for example. So I think it's evolving and there are things that are being done better as we move down uh, into this new new paradigm. Horrible word, but it's, it is relevant. Um, I, I like to think that what we do or what we're building is the bit that will make a difference, and that is actually to create this economy which is Web3 compliant, let's say. So, for example, if I go into um, Selfridges, in London, I'm in London at the moment, so if I pop into Selfridges, I buy a branded product, which I decide to wear, and then go and meet my mates at the pub or go to the football or go to wherever, I'm actually a walking billboard for that brand. And if I'm carrying a Selfridges bag, I'm actually a walking billboard for that retail brand as well. So, but I'm not getting rewarded for that. I've actually spent money and I've spent a premium because of the advertising budget, which went into convincing me to buy that product and go to that particular store. Flip that into a Web3 and a metaverse environment. If I own a virtual pair of sneakers or a virtual jacket or I've gone to a virtual store and I am then wearing that or traversing whatever experiences are made available, because there's obviously not that many of them now, where I can be interacted with, 
uh, people can click on my sneakers and see, oh, wow, they're by so-and-so. There's only 10 pairs of them. They valued it this much. You can buy them from here. I'm actually attracting clicks and eyeballs and traffic potentially. And therefore that has a value which I've created, which somebody should be rewarding me for. And ideally the brand, the IP owner that created that product because I'm promoting their product around that metaverse. So if they're able to reward me, and we'll do that with the creation of our currency, that flips the whole concept of consumerism and advertising and marketing completely on its head, but in line with what Web3, we will talk about it being, which is empowering the ownership of your identity. And the soul band thing can be a true part of that because that can give you access to all sorts of things without having to go through and disclose whether you have a a current positive bank balance or that your degree was a 2-1 and not a 2-2. So all of these things which can be blocked into there will also add immense amounts of value into what you can potentially do as a a participant in the metaverse, let's say. Richard, you are describing a model in which uh, uh, the end user has access to uh, a digital asset and then there is a certain level of empathy that is built up towards this asset, right? And then people buy into something. And Adam also previously was mentioning that you can add additional attributes or additional feature to it, right? That uh, that are digitally combined or that are combining actually the digital and physical world uh, such as access, right? You mentioned the word economy, which is also used a lot in the in the realm of the metaverse, right? And uh, such as uh, the, the 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 economy definition in the in the physical world, the supply and demand, right? Of uh, of uh, uh, goods and services, right? There are certain mechanics that are that that we are all learning, right? Yep. Let's put it that way, right? In the metaverse, what have you? What have you? Because you mentioned um, economy, and then I want to bounce off the same question to Adam. What have you seen that works? What makes the economy instead of just buying and selling digital assets? Well, okay, this I think this is can be controversial, and there's probably a lot more knowledgeable people that can talk about this much, much better than I can do, especially the tokenomics experts. But essentially, a lot of what we've seen um, over the last couple of years has literally been, you know, money is dumped into a pot and then given away. And an economy only works if there's money coming in at the same time as there's money coming out. Now, obviously, the crypto, the, the main blockchains, they have that that mechanism for creating that and, and making it happen. But a lot of projects are not. They're just sort of throwing money away. It's almost, I wouldn't call it Ponzi, but it could be classified as that. So I think as long as there's a valid continual supply of money going into the treasuries, which is commensurate with that, which is being used to reward the participants, then it works. From our perspective, that's if you engage the consumer and reward the consumer for activity, you're going to attract more brands and more designers or more even individual creators to actually mint original products and make it available for sale. Because if that happens, a percentage of both the initial sales and in our case, 100% of the secondary sales as a royalty goes into the treasury. So there's that has to be a balance between that. And that's where good tokenomics works is if you're able to balance that and not suddenly just making staking worth a ridiculous percentage that no bank would ever be able to accommodate. I hope that makes sense. Adam, you're you're way more into DeFi than I am, so you can probably pick holes in in that quite easily. I I wouldn't say it's it's picking holes in it. I think it's it's really true. And like it's the the 
values that you're talking about are crazy to think about. So one of the things that we often say about DeFi today, for example, in your in the traditional narrow view of what DeFi seems, is that it's a what $100 billion TVO or value of assets within that space, roughly. If you think of that at 100 times its size now, you get to about $10, billion, $10 trillion, which sounds like an obscene amount of money. But if you look at the global financial system, um, that is already, at, not including derivatives, is about a $400 trillion market. So we're really at this really early cusp. And what I think, um, Richard, you're talking about is the ability to unlock additional value um, exchanges within there. And I think DeFi at the moment looks at value exchanges very much as trading, buying and selling, uh, traditional commerce. But I think one of the interesting things in like metaverse and, and things like that, and going back to my gaming days, for example, is you, you had like brand sponsorship or teams, esports teams sponsoring skins in a game or something, which gave them additional value to people who supported those teams, just in the same way as traditional sports teams wanting one of their scarves for your football team or something. Now, what you can get really interesting with an NFT and getting more data um, in a Web3 world is imagine you were a, a pro playing team or something and a, and a brand had, for example, an, an outfit your character could wear in that and you were one of the best players or you were a celebrity and you could track that that had been worn by one of these pro players or used in a certain moment or went to a, a virtual catwalk event or something like that. Suddenly that creates more value to that. And so you can create new participants within this um, Web3 economy that would not typically be able to be have their value tracked or their value rewarded in the, the current economic scenario because it wouldn't really work. And this is not, people look at this and go, well, would people really do that? And I remember these questions um, back in like the days of when esports was coming around. People were like, well, who would actually watch people play video games? And one of the best responses I ever heard to that was like, who would watch uh, 22 guys kick a ball around for 90 minutes? If you explain it in a really simple way, it sounds dumb until you realize there's a lot more to it. And like, why, why does someone care about getting, um, a pair of, a pair of Nikes? Well, okay. Useful pair of shoes. What about if that pair of Nikes was worn by Michael Jordan? Suddenly they have more value because of the history of them, because of the events they're involved with. And what we can do with Web3 is get that information recorded and actually give value. And, then what about the people who promote that? That is activity that they're coming in. That can create a narrative, a story, and unlock even more than this $400 trillion global financial system we already have to get even greater application and, and further growth. Can I just jump in there? Because I think one of the things that actually was really compelling to me when we started the business was not just smart, uh, not just blockchain for provenance and identity and the ability to trade, but it was actually smart contracts because that allowed you to actually reward the people that properly contributed to the success of a particular item. So when you talk about the fashion industry, a lot of the grunt work is done by interns and very lowly paid people, fresh graduates who will literally do anything. And they're often, you know, they are the most creative people and eventually they will have a, a one of, out of 10 will have a stellar career, let's say. But at the, at the moment, they're literally paid nothing, even if they create, and as a freelancer, if you design something, you might get paid 150 US dollars for delivering a fully specced out tech, beautifully designed product, but you won't get a penny if that sells a million dollars worth of product. That's gone. You just got your 150. But with a smart contract, that puts it, and that, you know, smart contracts are now what, six, seven years old, whatever, whenever Vitaly 
came up with the concept or it's been refined. But what's going to happen tomorrow? What else can you build into that to reward the participants? So that was a very simple definition of, okay, I helped to create this product. I'm part of the contract. I helped to promote that product. I'm part of the contract. If you move into this, I've helped to evolve that product. I've helped to elevate that product. I should be getting something in return. So it's, it, that, again, this, this is the beauty of this space is every day you wake up and you read an article and you go, damn, didn't think of that before. Now there's another thing that I have to try and work out how to include in our business model. Okay, Metaverse Nation, great news. If you're enjoying this episode, you'll love our book. Written by our lovely co-hosts and industry leaders in the NFT and Metaverse space, we published an in-depth guide for how to succeed in the new Web 3.0 environment. How can you as a brand or a company capitalize on the momentum? How are others doing it? We demystify the industry and potential for you. The link to the book is listed in the show notes, or you can simply look for the Navigating the Metaverse book on Amazon or visit our website at themetaversebook.me. But let's get back to the show. So that's a that's a really cool thing to add. Like um, smart contracts as well, like a, a big piece of the metaverse and, and DeFi as a whole that we tackled with Radex is smart contracts today. We actually think that Buildability, the ability for developers to build things is one of the biggest barriers to growth. Because if you if you speak to anyone who's written Solidity, um, which is the, the smart contract language for Ethereum, they will tell you what a horrible experience it is. It is fraught with risk. They spend 90% of the time trying to secure the code from all sorts of really awkward and, and strange edge cases. Now, with Radex, for example, we've built a new language and execution environment because one of the big things that you open up with Web3 is not only more participants, but more competition. And this is a bit of a, a weird concept, but just as Richard was saying, suddenly now you can get someone, the barrier to entry, to enter into the space, to enter into this Web3 economy is far lower. And competition ultimately leads to, ideally, better consumer or, or better experiences for the consumer of those products, more choices for them, it leads to better products. And so my experience in, in, in Radix is very much focused on the DeFi side. But if you look even at some of the innovations in how decentralized finance and what that has brought, even something as, as basic as the automated market makers like Uniswap or something like that is a real financial innovation, but conceptually they're very simple. Now, one of the things that amazes me is that if you go back even two years, the amount of money in DeFi has increased by about 200x, uh, depending on the market of the day. But the number of developers has only doubled to about 19,000. And to put that in perspective, globally, there's about 30 million professional developers. And only 19,000 of those are working in Web3. And this is what I find really exciting about the space, is imagine what can happen if we can unlock those additional participants to be able to build, to be able to contribute into Web3, and the innovation rate skyrockets even further still. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, totally agree. I love it. Yeah, I love it. That's 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 a, a super intriguing angle, which is the angle of co-creation and adding additional value by having really the creators. And I mean, we we are talking about now the developers, meaning the the ability to actually code, right? But there is also another wave of uh, creators, which are the designers, right? That uh, previously were actually you know tied to the photoshops of this world, and now they can bring in this creativity into. Uh, the, the 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 visuals, right? So the collaboration between the designers and 
the developers on Web3, right? That's when, when real value is being created, right? That at the center of all this, right, we need two things. One is, is, is making something that is, that is scalable, right? Do you think that, uh, Adam, to, to maybe wrap up this line of reasoning here, right? How is, uh, I mean, blockchain is not known for being scale. What's the future there of, of DeFi? Does it still belong to Ethereum? What are your thoughts there? <laughs> I, I'm slightly biased uh, because Radix is mm-hmm. a, a layer one uh, network. Um, we started back in 2013 solving scalability. Um, and this is something that is a big pain point in the space. So anyone who's used Ethereum knows about the gas fees. And there's there's a couple of things you've got to take into account here of what you're trying to solve. So the, the way many people are trying to solve scalability at the moment in um, blockchain and, and distributed ledger technology in general is through the concept called sharding. So you, you take one chain and split it up so you can process things in parallel. Now, in principle, that works quite well. But to my knowledge, Radix is the only people is the only company that has solved that in a way that maintains something called atomic composability. And this is a, a really minor point that has big impacts. So one of the amazing things with, with Web3 is if you're on a single chain and you have atomic composability, you can buy and sell in the same transaction or borrow, trade, and repay that loan in the same transaction. Sharding solutions traditionally break that, and that loses the efficiency of a a capital market. And so one of the reasons why I'm so bullish on on DeFi and and Web3 in general is not through some um, altruistic or this is going to be just a great social good, which will be, but because it's pragmatically better, like the the ultimate goal of a, a financial system or economy is to efficiently allocate capital and resources. And Web3 simply does that better than the markets that exist today. And therefore, in my opinion, it's going to be inevitable. The scalability, though, is only needed when you have the demand. And so this is where one of the key focuses Radix had after we we solved that kind of scalability problem was we went out and spoke to many developers. And it's actually the developer experience and the user experience still have a long way to go. And this is one of the great things that I look at even this first wave or early wave of NFTs and, and metaverse being, is it help users understand how this could actually be used by them? Because let's face it, uh, if you go back to the ICO boom of, of 2017, you're using financial instruments, it was quite complicated, it didn't really seem that fun, and so less people got involved than like, hey, I could own something um, in the metaverse. And so I think the scalability has to match not only from the technical infrastructure, but also from the, the user experience and the builder experience, be that developers, as you say, creatives, or anyone else coming into this new economy as a, a value provider. I do, I, I do think it's that whole user experience. I mean, just I just had a, a meeting this morning where we were using sort of the example, if you go back to, you know, um, when Blogger and Blogspot came out and you could create your own blog, you still needed to understand HTML or it looked terrible. And then, you know, I remember developing my first e-commerce site in 2004, which was sort of, you know, I had to, I had to work with a team of people and we had to get the payment gateways. Over. And it was, you know, it was hard, hard work to make that happen. But now you've got, basically, you've got Shopify. It's a no-brainer. You've got Squarespace. It's a no-brainer. It's so easy for you know, somebody who's never even touched e-commerce or website building to actually generate something pretty quickly and easy. We have to get to that with Web3. That's going to be that's going to be the real tipping point is when actually people don't even understand or don't need to understand that there's a crypto wallet or there is a, a currency bridge or any of these things going on. They're just engaging with Web3 
in a way that's comfortable and smooth and easy, and they don't have to be a geek to to really understand what's going on. And I, I still think that's four, five, six years away until um, it gets to that. So, and in the meantime, we're all going to be working towards making things smoother. But I just go back to you know when I first tried to buy ETH, I gave up half a dozen times because the process was painful and complicated. You know, I wish I'd seen it through because then my my it would be worth a lot more than I eventually paid for it. But you know, we've got to get to that stage. That's where we've got to aim for. It's 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 easy onboarding, demystification, ease of use, and then we'll have a really powerful Web three. Ease of use, demystification, and then we have uh, not only the ability to create those uh, valuable uh, and meaningful digital assets that activate an entire new. Um, metaverse economy, right? But we also have a, a, a the, the digital me, the identity of us uh, going seamless, potentially seamless across chain, right? With our information, with our tokens, with our assets, right? And uh, in order to get there, um, we need to um, solve the challenge of true interoperability, Right, Richard. Uh, maybe you wanna you wanna share with us one or two lessons learned. Right, you're building a a, a fashion focused or a luxury focused metaverse. Right. What are your thoughts uh, in building this in order to provide the end user uh, the true uh, open metaverse uh, uh, features? Right, and interoperable features. Well, essentially, that doesn't exist at the moment because uh, essentially we're, we we build our tokens are on Ethereum. We're probably going to be doing stuff on layer twos, um, probably Polygon um, for other levels of interaction. But what we do at the moment is we create a high resolution, high definition piece of art, essentially. And, you know, that's, you know, a, a, a jacket created at that level can have six million polygons. But then if you want to drop that into Decentraland as a wearable, you've got to take it down to something like four and a half to 5,000. So there's no way you can take that level of, integrity and translate it back to the scalable and the optimized version without losing something. And remember this, so this is fashion over here on, on this side, that's truth and beauty and passion and dedication and love and lifetimes work and, you know, real artisanal elements. And over here we have tech, which has other elements there, but at the end of the day, it's scalability and optimization. They don't work together, not in the way that they would like it to, and not in the way that they want need it to. So, our job is very much bridging that gap and managing expectations and making it very clear that if you want to be in sandbox, this is what it's going to look like. If you want to be in Decentraland, this is what it's going to look like. And we create the versions of those. My hope and desire is that when, certainly with Unreal, uh, Unreal 5, when the metaverses which are being built or are being considered that will be built on Unreal, that's when we can have real uh, fashion integrity within the metaverse because the big name brands, the big name designers who are looking at what exists now and going, actually, that's not very cool. I don't think I want to be involved in that. But when they see stuff that's done in Unreal or see a full-on CGI or a VFX thing, and go, oh, that's what I want. Yeah, well, those two things, they don't exist yet, but you know, we'll eventually, we will get there. We will eventually get there. So I do think interoperability is very manual at the moment. Certainly from our side, we're doing what, you know, we have to create multiple versions of the same item and link it to the token to be able to allow that person to, and some of that still doesn't even work. Some of it has to be wallet linked, 
rather than token linked because there isn't the the connectivity yet. But the the one thing I'll say is, as far as I'm aware, I mean, certainly we're part of the Animoca family, and that is very much about interoperability and networking. And you know, this this is where I've been in meetings today in London, and it's all you should talk to this person. These people have got something in the pipeline which is going to be relevant to you. They're going to need your help. We're going to need theirs. And this which is sort of anti-capitalistic as well, this way of collaborating and supporting and building things together, particularly at this early stage. You know, it's like we've all arrived on a desert island and if we go off and build our own individual camps and then we start trying to steal each other's territory, you know, it, it, will, it won't work. But at the moment, everybody seems to be going, right, we need to build a big city. We all need to pitch in. You're really good at infrastructure. You're really good at the creative side. You're really good at managing processes. And that's what's happening at the moment, I believe. And I hope it stays that way. I hope big capitalism doesn't step in and try to make it work in the way that uh, we've uh, been going for the last 60, 70 years, which is... Yeah, not necessarily working as well as it should be at the moment. From centralization to decentralization in a very collaborative way and supportive way by having the end user at the center and allowing us, uh, the end user, to yeah to freely, really wander from uh, one decentralized application to the next one and and having uh, and owning the data ultimately, right? Another episode here of Navigating the Metaverse with Adam Simmons, uh, Chief Strategy Officer at Redex, and Richard Topps, founder and CEO of uh, BNW Brand New Vision. And I always like to wrap up with a future back uh, question. Adam, take me 10 years. I know 10 years in Metaverse at Web3 is a lot. I want to pause. This is the rhetorical pause, right? Take me 10 years down the road. How do you see Radix uh, playing uh, a play in the ecosystem and what are the obstacles to get there? So 10 years is indeed a long time. Um, it's the sort of timeframes we're looking at, though. And I think at that point, we'll still live in a multi-chain world. Uh, I think the number of chains will have consolidated um, and will continue to consolidate past that. But I think the, the big difference will be the number of people being able to get involved in building in, in this space. And to, to chime off uh, Richard's point about Unreal, one of the things we say at Radex is we've built the first game engine for DeFi. And if you go back to the history of like building a game before game engines and after and what innovation that unlocked, that's what we're trying to unlock in, in that space. Um, but yeah, it will still definitely be a, a, multi, a multi-chain world. And I think people, the way people will interact with Web3 is going to be very similar in hindsight as being very obvious is when you look back at the internet when it first came around and people are like, oh, I'll read, I'll read my newspaper online, will I? And you're like, yeah, but so much more than that. And I think mm. this is what's exciting about the space is in 10 years' time, the things we're doing now will look incredibly primitive compared to what we will be able to do then. Biggest challenge to get there, Adam? Like, mention one. Uh, developer experience right now. More people need to be able to build and build effectively. Dev experience. Outstanding. What's your vision, Richard, 10 years down the road? God knows if I'll still be around in 10 years, um, because that's like a hundred hundred years in in the real world. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, we're on that curve. It's things are just accelerating so fast that to predict what it will be like two years, let alone 10 years, is going to be really difficult. But I would like to think that it is still a cooperative um, supportive world that we live in and the, the, the metaverse, Web3, will have made an impact on some of the 
let's say, socio-political um, things that exist in this world that actually give people a better life because um, it ain't looking good at the moment. So let's uh, let's let's try and if we can do something good here. I mean, you know, from our perspective, if people are buying digital fashion instead of buying real fashion, that's doing a lot of benefit to the planet because fashion as an industry is not the best one for uh, resources. And I think if uh, we can all keep moving in that direction, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that by that time we are fully dowed. That's our intention. And yes, I'm sitting on a, a sunburnt or beach somewhere in the world waiting for the next tsunami to kick in. And with this vision in mind that you have a social political better life because of the abilities of Web3 and Metaverse, I would like to wrap up things in this uh, Navigating the Metaverse episode. And as always, I'll meet you in the Metaverse. Bye. Thank you for listening. Another quick reminder about our referral code for Upland, the Earth's Metaverse where you can flip virtual properties, become a MetaVentures entrepreneur, or just connect with other like-minded players to rebuild the world together. Download Upland on iOS, Android, or web today using the referral link in the show notes and get a 6,000 UpX sign-up bonus. Just a quick disclaimer, the information shared on this show is for entertainment purposes only. This is not investment advice. Thank you for joining us and see you in the metaverse.